Hello and welcome! You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism. Today we are going to be talking about the Juicero. And I'll be covering the decline of your childhood favorite, Toys R Us. Excellent. Enjoy. Enjoy. The Juicero is of a different breed from the other things on this podcast. Most of what we have covered before has been industry titans so large that they hold up the world, giants with every advantage behind them, refusing to adapt to a world that is changing past them. Juicero, to me, is a case study in social isolation, the sort of thing that would happen if you raised a child on nothing but corporate training videos. And given what we know of the Frankenstein to this monster, that may not be entirely correct. Researching this topic was an odd experience. There is very little to go on as the product really only existed over the course of about five months. Aside from the various articles written about it during this time, all we have is the Juicero official blog, an impressively useless assemblage of things <laughs> resembling words that could be described as the uncanny valley in text form. <laughs> the Polar Express of blogs. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. But what lies beneath this $25 Silicon Valley word salad? Well, if you're looking for answers, you will find none. This is what surprised me about the topic. With everything else we have studied here, the failures can be traced back to simple things. Ego, greed, fear, hubris. But with the Juicero, there is no bottom. <laughs> so, I'm simply going to read you the Wikipedia, the first two paragraphs of the Wikipedia article. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> Juicero was a company that made a device for fruit and vegetable juicing. The company's product was called the Juicero Press, a Wi-Fi-connected juicer that used single-serving packets of pre-juiced fruits and vegetables sold exclusively by the company by subscription. The San Francisco-based firm received $120 million in startup venture capital starting in 2014. All right, that's already a red flag. From investors including Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers, more well-known as the most famous investor capital firm in Silicon Valley, and Alphabet Inc., the parent company of Google. <laughs> of course. <sighs> On September 1st, 2017, the company announced that it was suspending sales of the juicer and the packets, repurchasing the juicer from its consumers, and searching for a buyer for the company and its intellectual property. Mm. That, okay, that's five months. <laughs> Juicera was founded in 2013 by Doug Evans, who served as CEO until October 2016, when former president of Coca-Cola North, uh, Jeff Dunn, took over the position. Mm -hmm. The company's juicing press was originally priced at $699, another red flag, when launched in March of 2016, but was reduced to $399 in January of wow. 2017. For the common people. Three months! <laughs> But it, was, but it was reduced to $3.99 in January of 2017, 12 to 18 months ahead of schedule, in response to slow sales of the device. <laughs> yeah. This is the Wikipedia article. Yeah. <laughs> in 2017, Juicero was the target of widespread criticism when Bloomberg News published a story suggesting that the company's produce packs could be squeezed by hand easily and effectively, and that hand-squeezing produced juice that was nearly indistinguishable in quantity and quality from the output of the company's <laughs> expensive press device. Now, okay, the Wikipedia article says, published a story suggesting that the company's produce packs, like, they're, yeah. they're not suggesting shit. No. There is a video yeah. of a guy. You've all seen this. There is a video of the guy holding the juice pack and, like, he's barely applying pressure. Like, he's <laughs> just squeezing this little plastic bag into a, into a juice. So, they sold a machine that essentially took a juice pack and did, like, fake magic to squeeze it into a glass. It, it's And sold it for $699. Yes. Um, uh, but it was connected to Wi-Fi. Um, and so you could tell Alexa to make you juice. Yes. There, there is nothing deeper here. That's it. Like that, that's as far as this goes. <laughs> that's like, that, that's like the, the polar opposite of, of Sears or Radio Shack. It's just like, it's just stupid. It's like, okay, but it doesn't, like, the idea stops there, but... The amount of, the amount, like, I can't even, like, I can't even talk about 
poor decision making here uh-huh. because it's just weird. It's baffling decision making. Yeah. Right. This this tiny little this tiny little period. This tiny little pyramid. Five months. Is this tiny little pyramid is constructed of the most baffling things? Like so much work went so much work and attention and just sheer money went into producing that. Yeah. And like we're gonna get into this because okay. you have no idea. <sighs> oh, and the other the one thing that the Wikipedia article doesn't mention, or any any article I've read yeah. in my research here doesn't mention, is that yes, the, the juice packets cost from five to eight dollars, right? Yeah. Um, but it it mentions here that you can only buy them via subscription service, which that was thirty dollars a month, right? So you had to pay Juicero thirty dollars a month for the privilege of purchasing a Juicero brand juice pack, which is basically a Capri Sun. So you're not allowed to buy the five to eight dollar juice packs unless you pay thirty dollars a month. Yes. It, like, and people did this. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, and um, so so they reduced the they reduced the consumer price from seven ninety from what was it six ninety nine to three ninety nine. Uh huh. Um, but that's only for consumers. Right. For, um, businesses had to pay a premium. <laughs> you know what that premium was? Uh, the if you were a business, you could buy your Juicero juicer for twelve thousand for twelve hundred dollars. I don't understand. Why is it different prices for different people? I, bec- because if you own a restaurant and you want a Juicero, you have to pay extra for the privilege of I don't know. There's got to be a law against that, <laughs> like selling like selling something the the same product right to different or is it like, is it like an in- industrial version of the Juicero? No, it's just a Juicero. There, there is no industrial version. That's like price discrimination. <laughs> it's like price gouging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know the specifics there, but people did it. Yeah. So right, and, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. All uh, right. The company defended its product and its process, claiming that squeezing packs by hand created undue mess and promoted a poor user experience, and later offered full <laughs> refunds to any customer unsatisfied with its press device. Right. <laughs> it's about the juice experience, Evan. <laughs> you can squeeze them by hand, but that would be a sin. <laughs> well, it would be messy. Yeah. That's it. Right. <laughs> You're paying three ninety nine, and $30 a month, and $5... Well, I guess no. You're not paying five to eight dollars. Five to eight dollars on top of that premium, right? But you're paying for the Juicero just so you won't have a mess. Uh, yeah. Well, and <laughs> that and that is bullshit. We can watch the Bloomberg video. Right. He doesn't get a drop on yeah. the table. <laughs> that's just a lie. It's very easy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite things about researching this is that like. The, the corporate like the corporate bullshit language breaks down so easily yeah. that they're just clearly lying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. You'll make a mess. It's like, no, no, no. We won't. It's like, oh, watch. Yeah. <laughs> watch. I don't make a mess. It's like, no, oh. but you'll make a mess. It's like, we promise you'll make a mess. It's like, no, we tried it. We didn't make a mess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, so that was... Just that, that was the Wikipedia article. Yeah. That, that is the most bare-bones summary of the yeah. Juicero. Yeah. Now, that's all you really need to know about the Juicero. Its time in the limelight was fairly short, uncompromising, and completely devastating. Yeah. <laughs> Only a few months after the 2017 Bloomberg article, nearly every source from Juicero would go completely dark. They were effectively wiped off the market like a ketchup stain. <laughs> like, like the non-existent mess you'll make when hand-squeezing a Juicero pack. Yes. <laughs> you. They were wiped off the market like a, a sinfully hand-squeezed <laughs> Juicero pouch. <laughs> is In wiped the fictional off. world of the Juicero <laughs> press release. Right. Where, where criminals are rampantly squeezing their Juicero pouches straight onto their table in a fit of hubris yeah. because they thought they were too good for the Juicero squeezer. How dare you, sir? How dare you? you no, you you can't even Google the CEO anymore. It's like he like there's no information about him. His like his blog is still up, but all of the like all of the Juicero promotional videos aren't hosted anymore. It's basically he's just sitting on the domain so nobody else can take it. But the blog is up, but he doesn't update it. Like he's he's vanished. Yeah. Turns out he was an AI Instagram. I would literally not be surprised. <laughs> so so here's uh, here's from BBC News writing about this. 
Juicero makes the bulk of its sales by supplying pouches of pre-cut fruit and vegetables which fit into the contraption, but was the subject of criticism when a Bloomberg article was posted showing that the pouches could easily be squeezed by hand. Every article I read said this. Yeah. <laughs> like, every article I read about it opens with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, just so you know where you're standing. Yeah. It's universally accepted. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's how it got famous, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> uh, Chief Executive Jeff Dunn said the criticism overlooked the experience of the machine. <laughs> this is great. He claimed <laughs> he claimed the hacking of the pouches did not produce the same quality of juice, saying the machine was calibrated to deal with different ingredients differently, which it's not. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, a lie. No. That's yeah. Another just straight lie. <laughs> In his blog post, Mr. Dunn, a former Coca-Cola executive, said that the machine or press <laughs> he only says that it's a press right. along with packs of fresh organic produce and a smartphone app combined to enable a great experience the app lets users buy packets of ingredients which cost between five and eight dollars only people who've bought the machine can order them <laughs> you can only order them through the app you have to have your juicero pass yes <laughs> and sends alerts when the product when the produce is going out of date so if it starts to spoil, it'll say, hey, throw this out. Yeah. And it won't squeeze spoiled juice. <laughs> right, the um, Wi-Fi will send, like, a signal. I'm well, sure. there's, a, there's a QR code on each individual <laughs> package of... On each individual pouch. Right, and so course. it reads the QR code and says, like, no, this is bad juice. You're not allowed to eat this. Bad boy, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. Dunn said that... <laughs> And Mr. Dunn said that because each pouch of fruit and vegetables was individually tagged, the firm could remotely disable them if there is, for example, a spinach recall. In these scenarios... Quote, they can pull the plug on your juice at any time. In these scenarios, we are able to protect our consumers in real time. <laughs> protecting you from your shitty juice that, that we sold you. sounds like a threat. At any time, if you, you displease them. You don't know the half of it. <laughs> oh, no. There's a, there, we're getting to a section next. Oh, no. Um... The value of Juicero is more than a glass of cold-pressed juice. Much more. <laughs> <laughs> Period, space, new sentence. Oh, no. The value of Juicero is more than a glass of cold-pressed juice. Much, Much more. more. <laughs> Wrote Mr. Dunn. I don't understand. In response to his blog on Medium, one poster asked, Are you seriously referring to hand-squeezing a bag as hacking? <laughs> <laughs> and this started by foray into Jeff Dunn's blog. Oh, no. <laughs> So, I, like, we were, talk I, we were talking about this before we started recording, that, like, a lot of the fun of this podcast is getting to read all of the batshit corporate, like, <laughs> word salad that people say yeah. about these insane products. Yeah. Jeff Dunn's blog is, like, it's not even fun. Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. just, it's enormous blocks of utterly uninteresting text. Like, right. I... I could feel my eyes physically sliding off of the page just because of how little information there was. It's right. utterly vapid. There's right. nothing behind it. You can't it. even make fun of it. But <laughs> the comment section is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> These are all comments on just one blog post that, Je on <laughs> that Jeff Dunn made, specifically the one that they were talking about here with the, the where he was accusing people of hacking his juice <laughs> yeah. pouches. Right. The value of your product is what the market decides it's good for. You've shown the entirety of your ass here. <laughs> Malnutrition and obesity are diseases that disproportionately impact the poor, and you solved this by selling a 400, formerly 699, <laughs> juice, juice press with 5 to $8 produce packs? <laughs> I know this is going to sound strange to many of you, but you don't have to buy a Juicero. What are we really getting mad at here? Asked Medium <laughs> contributor Jeremy Atkins. <laughs> Jeremy with the burn. There are industries giving people diabetes. The leader of the free world just, invented, just invited Kid Rock to the White House. I think we can give Jeff Dunn a pass on selling vegetable juice to software engineers. <laughs> yeah, the bar's already very low. Hey assholes, did you know that you can buy juice at the store? Give me hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, in all caps, put a fork in him! <laughs> He's done! <laughs> With two N's referencing that his name is Jeff Dunn. <laughs> He's done. <laughs> and then my, pers my personal favorite, nope. <laughs> this guy's just done. Yeah, this guy's very efficient with his words. <laughs> Unlike very Jeff Dunn. <laughs> Do not speak unless it improves upon silence. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> but what is it like to actually use one of these machines? Mm -hmm. 
What is this is from an article from Ars Technica called "What Is It Like to Use a Juicero," um, and I love this article because it's written in like extremely large font in bold, and it sounds like it was just the tone of this article sounds like it was written at gunpoint. <laughs> right, you can tell in the text. Here's what it was like to be in to be. Here's what it was like to use the Juicero machine when Business Insider visited last April. I walked up one flight of stairs where the employees were stationed to meet Juicero's founder and CEO, Doug Evans. Along the way, there were some strange contraptions lined up against a wall. It turns out they were Juicero prototypes that Evans and his team built before landing on the current model. Left to right is oldest to newest. And they have a picture. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that the old one looks like a real juice press. It's like right. stainless... It looks like a stainless steel juice press with like a fucking lever, you know? Yeah. You know, a normal-ass juice press. Right. And then the new one looks like an Apple phone. <laughs> Evans worked on Juicero for three years in, quote, stealth mode before publicly launching his juicer in March of 2016 with about $100 million in funding from investors. There were 12 prototypes in total. <laughs> Here's Evans opening the Juicero box when it launched. Juicero cost $700, but it has since dropped the price to $399. The model is kind of like Tesla, launching with a pricey model and then using funds from those sales to figure out a way to create more affordable versions, which is not how you're supposed to run these things. Yeah, like right. look at look at Ford. It's like yeah. you you sell your first you sell your first thing at a deficit to get everybody hooked. Exactly. And then you crank up the price. Right. Well, you start by turning people away with the incredibly high price. And then you lower your price. Like right. people are already going to be turned off to it. Right. Well, and now the consu now the consumer has learned that if they just don't buy it, the price will go yeah. down. And right. that's easy. All Let's you have to do wait is a little longer until they get more desperate. <laughs> All you have to do is not doing it. Yeah. Not do anything. Yeah. You just have to not take action. <sighs> the Juicero team sells one serving pouches, which are the size of IV bags. <laughs> For five to seven dollars, Evans. De <laughs> I love this. Evans decided my first glass of juice should be sweet greens. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like <laughs> I decide what what juice you drink here. <laughs> I love that because you can read it like Evans decided my first glass of juice should be sweet greens. Decided I deserve this. <laughs> Uh, the app, as well as the bag, tells you exactly what you're about to drink. There's nothing extra added to the pouches, like preservatives or water. We'll come back to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all fresh produce the Juicero team has washed, chopped, and packaged itself in one of its San Francisco warehouses. Sweet greens contained an apple, lemon, kale, spinach, and pineapple. Which, like, in terms of, like, health smoothies, doesn't sound too weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, like anything you'd buy at, like, a Starbucks. Yeah, it's like a, it's a fancy juice. Whatever. Yeah. It's got kale in it. Who cares? Yeah. At last, I was ready to take my first sip of Juicero juice. I had high expectations. For all the startup's hype and the about $100 million investors had given the company, I was hoping it would taste like nectar from the gods. And it was really good. Was it the best thing I've ever consumed? Shrug emoji. Like, they, they wrote a shrug emoji in the article. Well, I mean, like, fresh juice with apple and pineapple is by default going to taste good because it has a ton of sugar in it, and it's fresh ingredients. We'll come back to that. <laughs> but it was... Shrug emoji. But it was sweet and fresh. I own a juicer, but it doesn't make anything quite this smooth. <laughs> Evan said his goal for me was to find myself craving the juice the next day. <laughs> his goal for you. That's is like crave the juice. It's like... That's like something like like a, a Silicon Valley guy would say that like my goal for you is to for you to wake up tomorrow morning craving the juice. Right. Like getting weirdly personal <laughs> and like still using like weird like business like lingo like especially with these weird like health like anything that deals with like health or health food stuff. Right. It's all got that like I am standing t like six inches too close to you than is appropriate. Yeah. Like, I care about you. Like, I, I care about your juicing needs. It's It sounds like they want your body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not in, not in, like, a sexy way. They want, like, your kidneys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're trying to lull you into complacency right. they're, so they're they trying to steal your liver or they're, whatever. They're trying to feed you some special juice so that you have the highest quality, healthiest <laughs> yeah. kidneys. Yeah. It has a sleeper agent in it that can turn you into a zombie that right, assassinate right. the president or whatever. <laughs> They're programming you through the juice. Yeah. <laughs> Evan said his goal for me was to find enough was to find myself craving the juice the next day. Even though I'm not a big sugar fiend, and I did just and I did. 
Just not enough to pay him another visit just to get another glass. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Juicera will have some obstacles to overcome beyond its price tag. Sweet Greens, on the left, has 17 grams of sugar. More than <laughs> half the amount of sugar people are supposed to have in a day, which is 25. <laughs> Other Juicera products contain less sugar, as little as 2 grams. But none of this really explains much, does it? Like, why was the machine so expensive? <laughs> you know, like, none of this actually, like, it's a juicer. Yeah. Like, ju like a juicer is two moving parts. Right. So why was this so expensive? And this landed me in a baffling article <laughs> called, um, called Why is the Juicero so expensive? By uh, this guy who's a fucking product necromancer named Ben Einstein. And this... This is where the episode is going to take a hard left. <laughs> no. Buckle up. So, okay. If you are at all into home electronics, you know, soldering, like making computer, like doing anything with like Arduinos or Raspberry Pis, if you've ever done anything with uh, remote control vehicles, you know, model rockets, stuff like that, mm -hmm. this is going to blow your fucking mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Juicero's Press is an incredibly complicated piece of engineering. Of the hundreds of consumer products I have taken apart over the years, this is easily among the top 5% on the complexity scale. <laughs> to understand what's going on inside the press, let's peel back the beautifully molded glossy white and orange plastic. It is immediately obvious that the Juicero Press is not your average consumer electronic product. This product ha is a complex assembly with a great attention to detail. The two primary exterior plastic parts are huge, detailed, injection-molded parts with multiple sides and actions, large changes in wall thickness, which makes it very hard to mold <laughs> without imperfections, and is painstakingly textured to an apple-like glossy finish. Once the back is removed, we get a very interesting view of the internals. Most notably, the large, machined aluminum structural components on either side, which transmit the load from pressing, from pressing the packs. We also get a first view of the drivetrain components and a huge custom power supply. That's something that we didn't cover earlier. This machine, it's like maybe, it's like 50% larger than a coffee maker. So right. it's like pretty big, yeah. right? It's, um, it's like 30 fucking pounds. <laughs> it is an extremely heavy appliance. Right. And here's why. It's like... It has a massive power supply. It has an enormous, super heavy lithium-ion power brick. Even though it's yeah. supposed to be plugged into the wall. But it's right. just, just so that you can, you can use your Juicero for 24 hours just in case <laughs> the power goes out or something. Right. Time to remove the door assembly. Because the door must transmit the force of the entire drivetrain pushing against the juice packs, we see massive machined aluminum components. The door hinge pins easily slip out, and four Allen bolts later, the door pops off, exposing the dowel pins used to align the door assembly. So, most juicers, they have the actual press aiming down, like mm -hmm. at the table, you right. know, they aim towards the base of the juicer, because yeah. that's where most of the force is going. Yeah, makes sense. So, the Juicero sort of stands, it stands up, you know, it looks like a blender, but it's got a, it's got a door on the front, and that's where you put the juice, right? Yeah. That's where you put the juice pouch, and then you close the door, and then you put the, your glass under the little door, and then that's where the juice comes out. Mm. Which means that the press is pressing against the door. <laughs> like, the thing yeah. that opens. Yeah. <laughs> And this is, they go into it later, but it has, it's something insane, like 25 pounds per square inch of force. It is an enormous amount of force right. for something that you can squeeze with your hands. Yeah. It, like, it is, the, the hinge here is so massively over-engineered because it is, it basically has the equivalent of a car parking on it. <laughs> for juice. For juice. For fruit and vegetables. That you can squeeze with your hands. <laughs> like, is it just... It's total waste. None of this is necessary. Yeah. yeah it's like... Uh, it's like you went to like a master like designer and said, like, design the most wasteful juicer possible. It, seriously. Like the most inefficiently... Like the most inefficient use of energy possible. Uh, see, like... Oh, man. 
Turning to the back again, after removing the power supply cover and bottom plate, we get a great view of the high voltage custom power supply that converts the 120 volt to 100 to 240 volt AC line voltage to the 330 volt DC power for the motor and a 3.3 volt 5 volt dash 12 volt DC for the communications board on top of the device. It is exceptionally rare to see a custom power supply on first time hardware products on a first time hardware startups product as these are inspected extremely carefully by the U by the UL slash ETL certification, creating additional cost and risk. <laughs> They've got a, the Juicero has a custom power supply and custom power converters to convert between AC and DC energy for the individual electronic <laughs> components, which is not only extremely power inefficient, is extremely heat inefficient. <laughs> and so because of this, it has enormous heat sinks around every single power <laughs> interchange. <laughs> this is a this is an insanely designed piece yeah. of machinery, and we're just starting. <laughs> <sighs> Notice the motor, which is manufactured by Jai Motor Company, a common supplier of cordless drill motors. Like many of the other systems on this product, the motor is seemingly custom to account for the exceptionally high-rated power. It stalls at, it stalls at 5 amps and 330 volts DC, which is hard to believe, possibly even a misprint on the motor casing. But, like, that's how powerful the motor was. Yeah. Right? And a... And it sports a custom encoder system designed by Juicero. They had a, like, in-house custom-designed encoder system <laughs> just to re just to regulate the motor that drives this press. Right. Like, that is how powerful this was. <laughs> Removing the sheet metal frame sheds light on a few of the more custom-machined aluminum drivetrain components. The number, size, complexity, and accuracy of these parts is somewhat mind-blowing for a young hardware startup. <laughs> Note the creative use of ball bearings to provide the sliding mechanism. A, a really nice detail. <laughs> so, those of you that don't know what machining is, it's basically it's basically a process by which you take like a large piece of aluminum sheet metal or like a large piece of aluminum metal mm -hmm. and you use a series of like you basically slowly grind it down into yeah. the shape that you want, right? right? You do this like it's this is done by the use of what are called CNC machines. I forget what it stands for right now, but it's basically like a computer controlled lathe that yeah. very slowly has like a diamond tipped bit <laughs> that very slowly grinds down these parts. Yeah. Machining is something that you do for machining is something that you do for parts that have to be very accurate, like right. extremely specific. Mm. Um like you machine you do machined parts for like um like the most delicate parts of your of your product or whatever. Right. Nearly every single piece of plastic and aluminum in this is hand machined <laughs> or or computer machined. Right. Like that is that is insane because it's not just like a CNC machine is not just a single machine. It's an entire workshop, right? right? This like one hand one machined piece is is maybe thirty times more expensive than a, a more common standard or stamped piece. Yeah, <laughs> and every single aluminum piece is machined. <laughs> it's almost as if they had way too much money to design the juicer, they, and they just tried. To, they just poured it all into it. But it's it's not even like it's like there are there are choices made here that are completely unnecessary like right. pizza like pieces of the of the juicero's body that are just totally structural and don't need to be accurate at all yeah it's like why are they machined yeah you don't need to do that yeah. that's completely right. unnecessary right it's like it would be like having it would be like having a gold-plated drivetrain for your car yeah it's like <laughs> like something you don't see right it's like this is something that spends its time soaked in gasoline yeah like why is it why would you do that? It's, yeah. it's baffling. They're, <laughs> they're throwing money at this. Yeah. Turning to the back press mechanism, we see the even more expensive machine parts. At this point, it has become clear that Juicero spends a lot of money, in all caps, yeah. on machined parts. Yeah. I would venture to say a majority of the bill of materials is devoted for... Uh, oh, shit. I would venture to say a majority of the bill of materials is devoted to machined parts, which is highly unusual for a mass-market consumer product. In this single sub-assembly, we have three complex aluminum parts, the drivetrain cover in green, uh, 
the drivetrain, housing in blue, and the press platter in yellow, plus expensive steel components like the Acme screw and the final two gear stages. All custom. <laughs> of course. To see where all the magic happens, we crack o- we we have to crack open the surprise custom gearbox. <laughs> that's custom gearing, which is um, high precision. That's high precision machining. Yeah. Extremely expensive. Right. <laughs> Uh, with a little bit of elbow grease, we can see the intermediate stages of the press's gearbox, all of which are expensive, hardened steel spur gears, rarely seen in high-volume consumer electronic products. Also note the input shaft from the motor, and yet another expensive complex part, the nut for the lead screw. Looking at the complexity and quality of these parts, it wouldn't surprise me if Juicero spent more than $35 on these components alone. (laughs) That's four parts. Right. (sighs) It is clear that the cost savings were not anywhere near a top priority for Juicero when designing this (laughs) product. clearly. Or, if it was, something went horribly (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Right. There are dozens of components and subsystems that are incredibly complex and beautifully engineered, but hopelessly expensive (laughs) to manufacture and assemble, and thus sell to consumers. (laughs) Here are three examples. Most hardware startups avoid machined parts as much as possible because the cost doesn't decline doesn't decline much as production volume increases. That's mainly it. It's like if you're trying to mass produce it, you have to do every single machined part individually. Right. There aren't any bigger, fancier factory processes for mass mar- for mass producing them. Yeah. Sometimes a company must ha- must have one or two of these large machined parts. Juicero has eight of them, <laughs> but these aren't just ordinary machine parts. Like, on top of that, they aren't even ordinary machine parts. <laughs> of course not. Not for the Juicero. <laughs> Many... <laughs> but these aren't just ordinary machined parts. Many of them have multiple machine surfaces requiring different CNC setups, <laughs> carefully located precision holes, and complex surface machining like the part below, where a tiny rounded end mill goes back and forth hundreds of times to make a surface rounded. While it's hard to estimate exact costs without spending a lot of time analyzing this project, my rough guess is that these parts account for over 50% of the, G- of the BOM cost. Meaning that they can chop that 700 down to a nice, cool 350. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and like, if we consider it that they're still making profit, like, if they were still making profit after the price cut, that's $200 that they could just cut immediately. Yeah. Like, easily. Right. Another example of Juicero overspending on beautiful engineering can be found in several of the plastic parts. This one uses an expensive process called overmolding, which is a special kind of injection molding injection molding press that takes two separate hard plastics and molds them together with a softer rubber-like polymer to make a single part. This part alone, likely 4 to $6, excluding the assemblies mounted on the right. So just that part, 4 to $6. <laughs> yeah. While it's hard to know exactly why the press is designed as it is, there are several signs that the designers slash engineers, quote, went wild, as my college shop instructor would often say. As one example, let's zoom in on the locking mechanism that keeps the door closed. Now, this is just the lock. (laughs) Ten custom injection molded parts, one solenoid to keep the door latched but not structurally closed, motor and controller board, Meaning, like, there's a there's a separate there's a separate electronics board, like a sec a separate computer chip yeah. just for the door, right? Um, which is insane. <laughs> um, two stamped steel parts, one coil spring, two custom dowel pins, four brushings, one gear, various screws, cables, connectors, glue, etc. All of this just to keep the door closed. <laughs> That's just the lock. Juicero filed a complaint in federal court of April 2017 against a competing cold press juicing device, <laughs> the Fruity Juicier, for allegedly infringing on its patent and copying Juicero's trade dress. They sued them for coming up with a dumber name than the Juicero. <laughs> oh, um, so, okay. <laughs> I want you to tell me how they spelled Fruity Juicier. Uh, okay, I think I got this. F R U I T H Y. J U I C I E R. Very close. <laughs> it's spelled F R O O T I T. Like Fruit Loops. J U I S I R. Just to make it a little bit dumber. Yeah. <laughs> Just to surrender any last dignity of that name. Right. Juzir. 
Ugh. So that's why it was so expensive. Yeah. And then somebody tried to copy that. So right. that's insane. Well, I thought, like, they were just charging, like, those crazy prices just, like, because it was, like, a high-end and you're paying for the status of the Juicero and they're just cranking up the price. But it's like, no, it's literally because they... The cost of the Juicero is ridiculously and unnecessarily expensive. Yeah, and, and it's like, why? Yeah. It's like, I thought these Silicon Valley guys were obsessed with, like, cutting corners wherever they could. Right. You know, it's like, why? Why would you spend so much money on this? Right. This is totally unnecessary. It's like, you literally have to sell it at a ridiculous price or else you'll lose... If you sell it at a reasonable price, you'll lose money because it's ridiculously made. Right. It's like, this thing might as well be made with, like, living human organs or something. Right. Exactly. Like, it's, it, it's insane. Yeah. So after all of this, after like after the Bloomberg article, yeah. after the endless mocking articles came out, yeah. So what does Jeff Dunn have to say for his haters? <clears throat> Our connected press itself is critical to delivering a consistent, high quality, and food safe product because it provides colon one the first closed loop food safety system that allows us to remotely disable produce packs if there is, for example, a spinach recall. What the people have been waiting for. In these scenarios, we're able to protect our consumers in real time. (laughs) Two, consistent consistent pressing of our produce packs calibrated by flavor to determine the best combination of taste and nutrition every time. (laughs) Three, connected data so that we can manage a very tight supply chain because our product is live, raw produce and has a limited lifespan of about eight days. Just like any produce you'd buy at Stater Brothers, (laughs) for example. Uh, Ugh. Never mind that the that the first and third point are essentially the same. Never mind that the remotely disab- that remotely disabling produce packs seems like an incredibly frustrating experience if you're somebody who doesn't mind drinking juice 12 hours after an 8-day yeah. expiration limit, right. as long as you never admit your disgusting habit in polite society. <laughs> Dunn says that this allows a busy dad to have juice without cleaning a more traditional a juicer. Busy dad, for example. Right. <laughs> This allows a busy dad to have juice without cleaning a more traditional juicer and allows an executive to get notifications on her phone if a juice bag is about to expire. These are just a few examples of the value that the Juicero system offers, and we're just getting started, <laughs> <laughs> right? Insisting that, Big things are in store. Insisting that Juicero's investors are committed to helping the company smooth out the bumps in the road, <laughs> getting customers... Smooth out the juice bumps. <laughs> to getting customers to drink more fresh juice. But Juicero doesn't... <laughs> But Juicero does make an effort to meet any disappointed customers halfway. For the next 30 days, they say, we've decided to extend our happiness guarantee to any Juicero customer, new or old, who feels that we aren't making it easier, more enjoyable, and delicious to form a healthy habit, Dunn writes. This means that if you send us your press, we will refund the money you paid for it. And that is essentially the end. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, thank you for that. It was, yeah, yeah. That was very weird. <laughs> it's like I said, it's like it wasn't it wasn't as fun as the Radio Shack episode. But it's just like it's like almost more interesting. Like, right, right. It was just like it's like I said at the beginning. It's like there is no bottom here. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. I was expecting to find like a money laundering scheme yeah, or something. Right. No. You know, a, a, it's whatever the opposite of a money laundering scheme right. is. <laughs> it's like, no, this is <laughs> It's like it's like when you you hear about a conspiracy theory mm-hmm. and then it turns out that like actually the government was just trying some weird shit. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like there was no like ill intent. It was just like trying to do something weird. Right, right. It was like no, the government just thought. It's like the government just thought maybe we should look into this UFO shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, that's weird. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's like people do weird things it's like it's like gotta check it out yeah what if, what if they were real right it's like what if they turn out to be real and we didn't launch an investigation yeah. we'd look bad right it's like i guess yeah. all right so i'm gonna talk about the story of toys r us all right this is like a very like you know like when you think of like the structure of this show mm-hmm. like the the stuff we've done before blockbuster sears radio shack it, it falls neatly in that you know that story so for the fall of toys r us 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the retail apocalypse, which is the yes. the yes. official name, which is like what everything we've been talking about, any kind of brick and mortar store that's that we've talked about in the show so far has kind of fallen into. Um, the retail apocalypse refers to the closing of numerous North American brick and mortar retail stores, especially those of large chains starting around 2010. So it's really like a phenomenon of this decade. Right. And I think especially as you know, we're coming to the end of this decade, it's really something to reflect on because this is something that's defined really um, just like the past 10 years for, yeah. you know, like America, for the economy of America. And over the past 10 years, over 12,000 physical stores have closed due to factors including overexpansion of malls, rising rents, bankruptcies due to leveraged buyouts, low quarterly profits outside of holiday binge spending, um, delayed effects of the Great Recession of 2008, and changes in cons- consumer spending habits. So there's a lot of factors that are worth analyzing. Mm-hmm. North American consumers have shifted their purchasing habits due to various factors, including a focus on experience spending, which is something that is interesting that I was researching. It's like the young people of today are really focusing on not buying physical goods anymore. Like their focus is on experiences like dining out, going to, you know, like Coachella, these like there's all these music festivals. They want to have the it's it's just like the Instagram generation. They want to have an experience worth posting about. Right, right. So it's like you don't it's like because money if your money's a lot tighter and you're going to go out, you want to have a good time. Exactly. It's like you won't you don't want to just come home with something. Totally. Especially now that everyone has, you know, like a personal blog of themselves where they're broadcasting their activities. They want to show their friends that they're having fun. They're able to have cool experiences. They fit into a certain, you know, group or whatever. Right. right. Um so therefore the the fact that like our generation has a lot less money than the, like disposable income, and the fact that their their habits are are changing to rather buying things like saving up for something at a store, they save up for you know a, a music festival or a concert. That has totally shifted the money. Uh, in addition, uh, another huge factor is obviously the rise of Amazon and e-commerce. Right. Um, people buying online instead of going to the store, which is you know a very obvious reason why these stores are struggling. Right. Um, another factor is the oversupply of malls and, um, because the growth rate of malls between, uh, the growth rate of malls between 1970 and 2015 was over twice the growth rate of the population. Oh, wow. So malls are between the last four or so decades, malls have expanded faster than the population has expanded. So right, it's just, right. they have more stores than there are people to spend at these stores. Right. I love dead malls. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, I was actually, that's another like Wikipedia page I've, I landed on is dead malls. <laughs> there's a, there's a great one. There's a great one down near Newport. Oh, nice. That's just like, it was, it's like right in the center of an enormous traffic circle. <laughs> so and so cool. it's just this, it's this enormous eyesore yeah. that no one goes into. Right. <laughs> it's great. It's just, yeah, it's great. It's just like a failure of capitalism. Right. It's, it's wonderful. Right. I, I I I get like a little like flutter in my heart yeah. every time I drive past it. Like, ah. <laughs> well, here's here's some good news for you. Um, uh, Credit Suisse, a major global financial services company, predicts that 25 percent of U.S. malls will close by 2022. Yes. <laughs> there will be 25 percent more dead malls in the next five years. Love it. Or next uh, three years. Love actually. it. Love it. Love it. Um, the most productive retailers, so the ones that have actually been able to survive the retail apocalypse so far, have been ones that have basically branded branded themselves as discount retailers selling everything. So, you right. know, Walmart, Target, um, low-cost fashion brands, um, and dollar stores. So, and these are also, like, Walmart and Target not only... Like their brands have been have been able to survive. They've also mastered e-commerce. So right. their their websites, especially like Walmart, like they're they're able to compete with Amazon in terms of well, you know free shipping, discounts, all that kind of stuff. Right, and being being discount stores means you've got very low overhead. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, and they're able to sell everything, so they can cater to literally everybody. Right, right. Um, and they're flexible. Yeah, like they can they can reorganize their inventory depending on like wherever like yeah. wherever they happen to be. Which is what, I forget who it was, was it, oh, Blockbuster. That's what made Blockbuster successful is because they, like, when when the renting videos was first big, they could tailor their inventory to the population of right. that specific area because there were so many of them and just get to service that population. 
Um, the retail apocalypse has also led to the rise of pop-up retail. Um, and I'm sure you see this like around Halloween. You get those Halloween right, superstores right. that are there for like a month and then they just disappear. Um, so because the funny thing is most of these stores, they make most of their money during like certain holiday seasons right, like Christmas. Right. Um, and the final factor, which I think is really interesting in the retail apocalypse, is not these trends that like people can't avoid. It's just poor decision making which yeah. we've seen in everything we've done right it's right. literally these chains um it's because they're so focused here's what happens like these chains they go public and their investor either even if they're private or if they're public or whatever their investors want scale and right. they want growth and they want to make money every quarter because that's the only way they make money totally like if you're an investor the only way that you actually make money is if the company that you invested in is expanding and growing exactly you can't just be making profit. You have to be making more profit than last quarter. Exactly. And so this is basically putting like unnecessary pressure on retail stores to cut costs wherever possible mm -hmm. in order to maximize their returns, which is leading to them doing things like understaffing their stores and, you know, not fixing leaks and, and right. things in the stores right. that just lead people to have an even more negative perception of that store. Right. And now now, not only not only is retail having a hard time, it's all now it is also gross and busy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which it already was, right. but now it's even more. And like literally, it's just causing, it's just like a, a cycle because like the investors are forcing stores to do this, and right. stores are doing this, and therefore making less money. Right. <laughs> so right. the investors are, are are not getting what they want. So victims so far of the retail apocalypse, some of the most notable victims include Sears, Borders. Uh, Bloomingdale's, JCPenney, Payless, J. Crew, and Forever 21, either closing all their stores or a significant portion of their stores in the 2010s. And so Toys R Us, yes, it did file for bankruptcy in 2017 and close all of its U.S. stores by June 2018. So this just falls in that category of the retail apocalypse. So I'm going to mm -hmm. zoom in and just use this as a case study. All right. So at its peak, Toys R Us dominated the toy market and was considered a category killer, which is a term I learned dur er, during my research, um, which basically means no, no other chain could realistically compete with it in right. its niche. It, toys R Us was the toy star. Right. Like, literally, you had no chance. They, you could, they are toys. They are toys. Um, I don't know about you, but I have great memories of Toys R Us. Yeah, dude, <laughs> Toys R Us was the shit. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, Toys R Us is like... Whether it's just like saving up, like one of my greatest memories is like saving up money with, with my brother and my friend to buy a Lego Millennium Falcon and going in and purchasing that from the dream. <laughs> that, the dream. It was one hundred dollars, and that was just like when we made that, like saved up that money. That was just like the greatest accomplishment ever. No, like when you were when you were young. Toys R Us was easily on par with Disneyland. Yeah, like, exactly. Easily, I <laughs> I have a. Like, my grandmother is, like, relatively wealthy, mm -hmm. but every time she came to town for for Christmas or my birthday or something, yeah. she we would always get to go to Toys... We would always get to go to Toys R Us, and I would get to pick out any $50 Lego set that I wanted. <laughs> oh, I walked in there like a king. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like... <laughs> It, there's so like I'm sure most people have wonderful memories of toys because like that's where you got toys. It's not like now where you like there's you know Amazon or whatever where it's just like you get the toy in the mail and then you have the toy. It's like well, look, every everything sells toys now. Like look yeah. at look at GameStop and Target right. and everything. Exactly. They've all got huge toy items. Yes, yeah. but back in its dominance in like the 1990s and early 2000s, Toys R Us was toys. It was the place if you wanted a toy, you went to Toys R Us. They are toys. Yeah, that should have been their slogan. <laughs> or something. Yeah, whatever, too late. <laughs> um, They're dead. So Toys R Us began in 1948 when Charles Lazarus, Lazarus, age 25, opened a baby furniture store called Children's Bargain Town. In <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Children's Bargain Town. <laughs> I'm not paying any of these children. <laughs> my, my workers are kids, too. Um, it opened in Washington, D.C., he knew that Americans returning from World War II were starting families and needed somewhere to stock up on nursery mm. decor. So he was servicing the baby boom. Getting that sweet boomer money. Yeah. Um, before long, um, Lazarus discovered that the real money was not in 
um, furniture, but in toys. So he started selling toys, and then his store exploded. Um, That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> All those child workers died. Those child- <laughs> I was gonna. That reminds me. That reminds me of that character from *Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack*, who was like, he was like a body 1920s inventor, but all, <laughs> yeah. but all of his inventions yeah. were just like boxes with children yeah. in them. <laughs> Inspired by Charles Lazarus, <laughs> like he, he's like, I've invented a camera, and it was just like a child in a box that he trained to draw yeah. paint, to make a painting really fast. Yeah. So picture that when you picture Charles Lazarus with yeah, that's him. that that's, character. That's, that's exactly what. That's he what is. he looked like too. Okay. Um, <laughs> So part of what made his store successful so successful was he had this like theory that like toys break easily or they go out of fashion. There's always new toys mm. going in the stores that are like the hottest thing right, or whatever. The toy. Which means that parents need to go to the store more often. Um, and so that's when what made this store super profitable. Um, in 1957, he opened his um, his first like all toy store. Mm. And called it Toys R Us with the classic backwards R that made it look like a kid had drawn it. Right, like corn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the two great backwards R. <laughs> the staples. two great backwards R's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so his store was modeled after a supermarket with bright lighting, items stocked up high on the shelves, and a wide, endless, you know, seemingly assortment of choices. Um, so it's just like the, the typical, you know, retail thing. Right. Um, the mainstays of the iconic Toys R Us brand uh, developed in marketing campaigns over the next two decades, which included Doctor, which was originally called Doctor Giraffe, which became Jeffrey the Giraffe, mm. and the classic "I don't want to grow up" jingle, right? Um, like I'm a Toys R Us kid. Um, the company went public in 1978 and quickly became a Wall Street favorite. In 1980, the Los Angeles Times called Toys R Us one of the New York Stock Exchange's hottest stocks. Mm. Um, what we are is a supermarket for toys, Lazarus told the Washington Post in 1981. We don't have a competitor in variety. There is none. And she was right. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that like, right. You know, he wasn't exaggerating at all. He literally didn't have, like, maybe they did have competitors, but they literally could not compete. Right, right. Um, the Washington Post favorably compared Toys R Us to McDonald's, stating, like McDonald's, with its regimented service and standardized burgers and fries, Toys R Us has become a, an American institution. And it was. Um, it was as big as McDonald's in its heyday. Mm. Um, Toys R Us was known in the corporate world for its sophisticated use of computers back in the 80s. Um, so it pioneered the use of computers. Um, yeah, there's another one of those themes. They they yeah. innovated early. They exactly. Ju- they jumped on the train. Totally. And that held, helped them explode. Um, the, a Wall Street Journal article in 1985 said, One thing that sets Toys R Us apart is that Mr. Lazarus knows precisely what his customers are buying. Each product is tracked by computer, and that helps the chain hot spot hot-selling items weeks before most competitors do. So they were just efficiently using data to determine what to sell. Right. And it was That's working. good business. Yeah, very smart. Um, another um, thing that also helped them be very profitable was, in addition to toys, Lazarus kept his source stocked with a variety of baby products, including diapers and formula. So when the holiday season was over, parents had a reason to keep coming back. Right. It was super smart. Um, however, the dominance of Toys R Us began to decline in the 1990s. Lazarus stepped down as CEO. That's another thing we've talked about. Like, that passion is gone once Lazarus steps right, da- right. down. Right, like Rainforest Cafe. Exactly. Like, it's now run just by, you know, like a professional executive right. who's just, it's just another job. Um, another huge blow to Toys R Us is when competitor Walmart started offering lower prices on diapers, essentially destroying parents' reasons to go to Toys R Us um, year-round. Right. Um, so while Toys R Us remained a destination during the holidays, it lost regular shoppers during the rest of the year. After that, Toys R Us relied on upwards of 40% of its re- revenue during the holiday season alone. So the holiday season became essential to their right, profitability. Right. Um, here's another thing. that Another uh, seemingly smart business decision. Um, Toys R Us entered into an exclusive partnership with Amazon in the year 2000. Oh. Toys R Us was going to be... Um, Amazon's exclusive purveyor of toys, which is like, if that would have worked out, what an opportunity! That like, Toys R Us would probably still be around today. Right? No, that's like that. That was like when Radio Shack was the largest computer parts manufacturer in yeah. America. <laughs> right. It's like, hold on to that, bud. <laughs> hold on to yeah. that. <laughs> like, it's just the full circle. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did. Uh, they did. They did fuck it up. Oh no. Um, <laughs> 
So, Toys R Us was, because of the competition from Walmart, they were getting desperate for their physical stores. Even though they had this partnership with Amazon, they started making more and more desperate decisions. So, they made a decision to open up an enormous $35 million flagship store in Times Square in 2001 complete with a 60-foot Ferris wheel and a life-size Barbie doll dollhouse. That's so no. So this is the classic mistake. They have this partnership with Amazon and yet they invest like dozens of millions of dollars into their retail space. It's just like why are you not investing into your into your online business or your data or your, you know, e-commerce or whatever. Right, the things the parts of your business that are actually profitable, yeah. you know. Or like maybe it's not as profitable now, but will be in about five years. Your like main you know source of profitability, right, and right. they clearly saw that that, that was good. But it's just a thirty five million dollars that that could have gone into m- making them more sustainable. Right, right. But I can also see that like that th- that thirty five million dollar store. That's it's like that's a blow, but it's not going to kill them. Yeah, you know exactly. However, it did put. Uh, undue stress on the the brand. Right. So what happened was... They're off balance now. Exactly. So Toys R Us became a little bit less efficient because they were spending too much money into their own retail business. So they were unable to to, uh, maintain the inventory necessary to supply their deal with Amazon. So basically for the holiday season, they couldn't provide enough toys for Amazon. So Amazon basically is like, we're not going to honor the deal. We're going to start letting other stores... So that led to um, Toys R Us suing Amazon in 2004 for basically cheating on them in the deal. But no, you cheated on them, you dick. (laughs) Exactly. It's like you didn't meet the terms of the deal. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that led to them basically having like a nasty court battle battle and ending their partnership with Amazon. So they lost that. Um, Oh, God. Okay, so here is when things got really bad. Um, On shaky ground after their court case with Amazon... Toys R Us was taken private by a group of, pri- of private equity firms in 2005. Mm-hmm. These firms were Bain Capital, Colbert, Kravis, Roberts & Co., and Vornado Realty Trust. Vornado? Vornado. Um, bought the company for $6.6 billion. Um, this is what Toys R Us thought would save them, but many people people speculate this is what killed Toys R Us. That it's always these it's always these fucking investment groups. Yeah. It's like <laughs> these these guys that come in and just sort of chop everything up and they like they don't understand like what made the company successful. They're just like, We're business people. We know how to do business. Yeah, exactly. And it's like But here's the thing, this buyout from the the private equity firms, it's something called a leveraged buyout, which I still don't fully understand. I research it's like a lot of complex business jargon that that I didn't really understand, but basically what I can surmise is that they wanted to kill Toys R Us. Yeah. They, because yeah. they gave Toys R Us so much debt that came with interest and fees mm-hmm. that they would, regardless of how Toys R Us did, they would make up all their money from the loss just from buying they're, Toys R Us. They're loan sharks. Exactly. They're, they're literally loan sharks. They're literally loan sharks. So because of the massive amounts of debt taken on from the sale, Toys R Us profits from their holiday seasons starting in 2005 were utterly gouged. Ugh. So they just didn't make money. So as late as 2016, according to The Atlantic, Toys R Us was still paying interest on loans it got from KKR and Bain, with one estimate suggesting that the money KKR and Bain par- partners earned from those fees covered more than covered than more than covered the firm's losses in the deal. So just what I said. Like, right, right. They, they knew what they were doing. They were right. going to make money. They, they wanted to kill Toys R Us. Right, and now Toys R Us is, is effectively in debt to them. Toys R Us relied on their holiday season to make just enough money to remain slightly profitable, and then all that money just had to be paid to them. Right. They couldn't, have, right. They couldn't be profitable at all. Um, so saddled with debt, the store was not able to pour enough money into necessary innovative changes. By the time Amazon ruled the online shopping ecosystem, Toys R Us was light years behind. Uh, um, Walmart had a better online experience. Target had a better online experience. Toy industry analyst Jim Silver said they lost online and they didn't adapt. In 2015, Toys R Us closed its Times Square megastore. It was the beginning of the end. Um, A dismal 2017 holiday season was the death knell. The chain had not made a profit since 2013. Toys R Us officially ran out of cash in May 2018. Everything is up for sale, Toys R Us CEO David Brandon told employees on a conference call in 2017. 
In 2018, the company laid off 33,000 workers and closed nearly 900 Toys R Us and Babies R Us locations across the country. So it was just gone. Like piranhas. Yeah. Like like utterly decimated. And it's not even like like that the business was doing terribly. It's just literally any profits they made had to go immediately to the loan sharks. Immediately siphoned off. And here's the really sad thing. Um... Toys R Us is not dead. It's owned fully by... The intellectual property is owned by the investors now. The private... Right, the right. people who ba- who killed right, the Toys R Us. <laughs> so, though Bain and KKR equity firms set up a $20 million severance fund a year, um, a year ago for laid-off employees, the per-person amount paid off to employees came out to less than they would have been paid otherwise had the comp- company not been driven into bankruptcy. <sighs> In summer 2019, former Toys R Us employees won a $2 million severance settlement with the company, which they took to be a small, mostly symbolic victory. So $2 million is a lot of money, but you have to remember, it was 33,000 workers that got laid off in one year. Right. So the payouts amounted to around $20 for part-time workers and $40 for full-time workers. So that was their victory for the lawsuit. So here's the really sad thing. So one article... I read described it as the reanimated corpse of Toys R Us marches on. Having reemerged from the graveyard of bankruptcy production earlier in 2019 under a new parent company, True Kids Brands, owned by the private equity firms that Ugh. killed Toys R Us. And so True Kids Brands was created in 2019 in January 2019 by the lenders that who drove Toys R Us out of business, first appearing to be a repository for the company's intellectual property. Um but then they announced plans to reopen some Toys R Us stores. Um, after some initial gestures toward an actual relaunch, li- relaunch, the new business plan for Toys R Us was is now much clearer, opening a, a much smaller number of, to- of new stores, which are much smaller in physical stores and number of employees in the old Toys R Us. Um, so basically, these are like weird, like Toys R Us expresses that are opening up. Ugh. It's like, <laughs> like literally run by the people who killed Toys R Us. So it's just like weird and sad. Ugh. So they have plans for eight new stores in 2020. Um, and if you go to the Toys R Us website now, it redirects all search queries to Target.com. Oh. So like, it's just like they're making like weird things, like. They have these weird, like, Toys R Us Express stores, which have begun popping up. And, like, they sold, they have this weird partnership with Target. So it just feels like a weird, like, I don't know. I it's don't, just like. I don't really understand what the game is yeah, here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But it's like, I think, like, it's just, like, these private equity people have made all their money back. And now they're just, like, using the Toys R Us, like, exploiting the Toys R Us brand to make a little bit more right, money just, on the side. They're just squeezing as much money out of this as possible. Totally. So another weird thing about these like Toys R Us Express stores is um, another strategy they're using is to have a vast array of cameras and sensors installed in the store whose data will be used, quote, to monitor traffic patterns and shopper cadence, among other metrics, to give brands and true kids feedback on how the spaces are performing and develop shopper cadence data. So it's like a weird like surveillance experiment that they're like Ugh. using to like sell people's data, or, like n- like figure oh, out how people shop. That's what they're doing then. Yeah, they're, they're basically they're using the Toys R Us brand to essentially like they're it's like personal data farming. Yeah, that's exactly. Really creepy. It is, and it's just like the fact. It's like, just personal data farms for kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking right. That's like fucking cyberpunk yeah, shit. Like, don't good. go to Toys R Us. <laughs> like <laughs> these evil people, like I was drove s- it to drove it to death and then brought it back as like a trap for people. Yeah, that's like terrifying. Yeah. I was gonna say it's like, are there any of these in California? Like, I don't we- think so. I think it's all in like like less populous. Like, I know there's some in like New Jersey and like I think Florida. I, see, I, see. I was gonna say it's like, can we visit one of these things? Yeah. And I was like, oh uh, no, that's fucking scary. Yeah, if anyone has been to these weird like Toys R Us, like please write us. Us and like tell us, right, please are tell they us. super creepy and weird? 
Please um, tell us about them. The weird parody. Did we just ruin them for you? It's like dumb, like dumb Starbucks of Toys R Us. Right. Like dumb Toys R Us. Right. Well, it's like it's like dumb Starbucks if there's like a guy inside of it who's, who's there to mug you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like they're not there to sell toys. They're there to like watch you. Right. Like how do how do people like act in stores so they can like sell it to right. other it's, people? It's a Starbucks, but when you go in, it's actually a psychological experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my my little wrap up is uh, like Blockbuster and Sears before it, Toys R Us is a victim of the retail apocalypse. Um, and like the other retail stores we've covered in the past, there were other arguably preventable factors in demise besides these like big economic factors. Right, right. Um, the buyout from the private equity firm laid so much debt on the company that it literally did not have a chance to survive. Um, the company invested heavily in expensive retail space in the early two thousands, and not enough in e commerce and technological advancement. Um, to stay ahead of its competitors. And finally, its niche of toys for younger kids did not give it enough of a customer base in today's economy to help it compete with the Walmarts and Targets and Amazons of the world that sell everything, not just toys for, like, a certain age group. Right. So they're all, like, this story, unlike the Juicero, like, makes a lot of sense, but, like, there is that, like, weird, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like evil of the private equity right. there's right. that weird aspect of it which is yeah. like very strange I don't know if they have plans to open more stores but it's just like it's, I, don't, I don't it's like a, like the article like described it very well it's like the weird like reanimated corpse it's like yeah. it's like as if they like like David Bowie died and then like a corporation like bought David Bowie's body right. and like released more albums Ugh. using like a computer to like puppet him it's just like right, right. like his want... but not like a hologram like his actual body yeah like literally like putting like a robot to like control him or something Ugh. it's like really cre- creepy so that's the story of Toys R Us Ugh. another Ugh. staple that's weird that's unlike Blockbuster is still with us scarily <laughs> Another story that took, like, a really weird left turn yeah. about 60% right. of the way through. Oh, man. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, I think that's the episode. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, well, um, we've gotten some really good feedback on the show so far. Um, if you guys want to, like, leave us a rating on on Apple and uh, subscribe, that would be Hit awesome. Hit that MF and subscribe yeah. button to... No, no. For It actually does help us out if you, yeah. like... <laughs> Leave comments. Tell your friends, like, if you like the show, um, write to us at desperateactsofcapitalism at gmail.com. If you get literally any feedback, we really appreciate it. We've gotten some feedback. Bring up the show on your phone and play it full blast and then run up to strangers and say, (laughs) listen to this podcast. Force people to listen to it. Listen to it. (laughs) Force other people to rate, to like, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Go into stores that have those, like, Bluetooth speakers on display and connect your phone and play the episode really loud. And then run away so nobody can Yeah, leave your phone there and hide it so they can't turn it off. And then when they come to find you, run to a different Bluetooth speaker. (laughs) Yeah, please. Just, we really appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And we love you. Goodbye.